This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's great to be with you here this morning. And uh, if we haven't met before, sorry, just give me a second. I should have reordered these after the previous service, but I didn't. My apologies. Well, if you haven't met me before, my name is James, and uh, I'd love to meet you after the service. I am blessed to serve as part of the staff here in Anchor and be part of the North Gospel community, who are down here in the front offering support. And uh, as Anata mentioned, we're in the last week of our series, Vu, Mental Health and You. And over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've tackled and digged into the complex realities of mental health. Uh, in week one, Analdo, with the help of one of our own, Dr. Nicolette Ma, um, helped us to delve into the topic of depression. Uh, in the second week, which was last week, our lead pastor, Matt Sparks, with the help of clinical psychologist, Laura Sherman, uh, helped us to learn more and fix our eyes on Jesus and figure out how our faith interacts with the topic of addiction. And this morning, uh, I get to tackle anxiety. Uh, with the help from my dad, who is also a child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Cam Wong. And really what we're aiming to do here in pairing together uh, preacher and practitioner is to present a holistic approach to these issues. Uh, We are convicted that mental health is uh, something that affects us as holistic beings, humans that have a mind, and a body, and a spirit. And so as we address mental health, we don't just want to address it in one of those aspects, but we want to address it in all of those aspects. And so my hope this morning is that as I share some of my story with you, as as we hear from my dad, and as we're reminded of some truths from God's word, uh, that you would be strengthened to persevere in the midst of suffering. My hope is that you would find refuge and comfort in the God who is near, in the God who has come near to us and who is near to us today. And I also want to say up front that I've been a bit nervous, a bit anxious actually about preparing and giving this sermon. It's one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to write. And the reality is anxiety is a complex beast. People suffer with anxiety on this broad spectrum from momentary, situational, anxious thoughts and feelings to debilitating anxious disorders that may afflict them for decades or even their whole lifetime. So I want to be transparent that perhaps not absolutely everything I say this morning is going to address every person in their unique situation And some of the reminders of truth that I give later on might be particularly helpful for some people, but less helpful for others, such as the nature of preaching on such a complex and personal topic. And so my aim this morning is not to provide a a comprehensive theology, a comprehensive teaching on everything that there is to say about anxiety, but rather to help us grow in our understanding of it and to point us to Jesus. So does that sound okay? Come on, guys, you're going to have to work with me a bit. Does that sound okay? It's good. 
And so having said all of that, having put those airbags into place, we're going to rev up the engine because I believe that this morning God wants to do a powerful work in and among us. And not because I have good things to say, not because I prepared a great sermon, not because you're here and you're awake and you're listening, but above all because that's who God is. The God that we believe in is a healer. He is a redeemer. He's a God who meets his people in the midst of their darkness and pain and suffering and says, take heart, I am near. I am here and I love you. And so even as I'm limited in what I have to offer you, I know that the God that we, that we believe in is unlimited in what he has for us. So to that end, why don't you join me and let's commit this time to him. Father God, I pray now that you would still our hearts and our minds. Pray that you'd free us of distractions, however it is that we walked in here this morning. I know, Lord, that, that you love your people and there are people here this morning that you want to meet with intimately and personally. That you want to speak truth into their situations. That you, you want to open eyes, Lord, and break chains. So I pray, Father, that you would bless the words that come out of my mouth, that they'll be pleasing in your sight, that you would anoint them by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Enable me to speak words that would bring compassion and comfort and truth and strength to your people this morning and give us the open hearts to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, anxiety is terrible. It really is terrible. Last year on the 24th of June, in this very building here after church, I had a series of severe panic attacks. I collapsed to the floor outside this main auditorium, just at the top of those steps that you may be very familiar with. My heart was racing, was beating, pounding out of my chest. My head was spinning and I felt confused and disoriented. I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't know where Katie was at the time. And so I managed to grab a close friend and she came and sat with me. In all honesty, I thought that I was gonna have a heart attack and die. I could feel my heart rate surging and it freaked me out. I felt like my world as I knew it was gonna end. I felt like screaming, but I could barely get the words together to make a coherent sentence to explain what I was experiencing. I started to frantically pray to God, asking him to help me, asking him to take this away. A dark thought entered my mind that maybe God was punishing me for something bad that I had done. And so I cried out to him, asking for forgiveness and praying for his mercy. But the adrenaline surges kept coming like waves. And I felt weak. I felt helpless. I felt out of control. And I ended up staying in that seated position out there for three hours that day. And in hindsight, I came to recognize that I had had experienced a series of severe panic attacks, probably two or three in a row. And they didn't subside because each time I had one, I reacted to it by freaking out because I had no idea what was going on. And it compounded, bringing on the next one. 
took us a long time to get home that day because even when the panic had passed, I felt so weak that I could barely stand up and walk to our car. And over the past 14 months, I've struggled with anxious thoughts on most days. Some days I wake up on edge, feeling like something is surely going to go wrong and I need to protect myself for absolutely no reason at all. I'm perfectly safe lying in my bed in the safety of my apartment with my wife. I've seen a psychologist. I've talked to my father, which has been a great help. And they've explained to me that something's happening in my brain and it's, it's making my body feel this way, but it's okay, the world actually isn't going to end. But even then, it still feels so real to me. Now, thankfully, I haven't had a severe panic attack again, although I have experienced some mild ones since then. And I now worry and feel nervous about things that I never used to even think about. I'm scared of heights now, I have random and completely irrational health fears and I don't like being in situations where I feel like I won't be able to escape or get help if I need it. Like when traffic is bumper to bumper or I'm in a remote location. Many of you would know that Katie and I have, we've recently been on a three month trip around the world and we stood in some of the most beautiful places in the world, yet I felt afraid for absolutely no logical reason. And I say all this to say that anxiety is terrible. And I know that there's people in a room this size, multiple people, dozens perhaps, who have experienced what I have experienced. And there's some of you who've experienced far worse than I've experienced. And yet despite my experiences and despite yours, I'm here to tell you today that anxiety does not have to have the last word. Anxiety does not have to have the last word because we believe in a God who is alive and at work in our lives. We believe in a God who is near to us and who has told us through his word not to lose heart to hold on to hope, to persevere in the face of suffering. We believe in a God who is a healer, whether miraculously and instantaneously or progressively, and who redeems our situations. This is the God we believe in. And so no matter how you walked in today, no matter how you're feeling, I want you to leave today with this encouragement. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. But before we look at uh, what else God has to say on the matter, we're going to hear a clinical perspective from my dad, Dr. Cam Wong. And, and really our aim in having him here is to help us address this as holistic humans. To grow in our understanding of what anxiety is so that we can better face it, whether in our own lives or together with those in our lives who are suffering. So dad, why don't you uh, come out and uh, why don't we make him feel welcome? Thank you very much. Good morning, church. It's still morning. All right, dad, why don't you come and take a seat? Thank you. We're gonna have a clinical session together. Thank you. Well, first off, the couch is missing. <laughs> the couch is missing, it's true. <laughs> First off, just let me say um, thank you for being here. We're really thank glad you. that you're here. 
really thankful that you would give up your time to be here with us. Um, on a personal note, this is a really a great privilege for me. I never thought I'd be sharing the platform with my dad, and so this is really special. My mom's here, my sister, everyone's a family affair, so this is really a, a good memory. Thank you. That's called family support. <laughs> well, Dad, you know, you're really here to help us understand anxiety better. Uh, so why don't we just start with something simple. Um, how would you define anxiety? And what are the different common forms of anxiety disorder? Well, I would define anxiety as a feeling of uncertainty, insecurity, or fear. So uh, with that definition, I'm sure that uh, all of us here, at some time or another, we actually have felt anxious feeling. But an anxiety can become a disorder when that anxious feeling becomes so persistent and pervasive that our life is affected in a negative way, such as not being able to uh, fulfill our potential or uh, not being able to uh, deal with the uh, common stresses of life or not being able to be productive in our life in terms of our studies or our work. So the common uh, anxiety disorders are what we call the specific phobia or the simple phobia. So these are the, the fear, like the fear of flying, uh, the fear of uh, uh, enclosed uh, spaces or what we call claustrophobia or the fear of height. Now, when we talk about it being a phobia, I'm not talking about the fact that you get anxious a bit about making a trip to Europe or to America because it's uncomfortable, but it is uh, the sort of uh, fear of flying to the extent that you actually avoid flying, or the, the fear of uh, uh, enclosed spaces to the extent that you would actually scale uh, the 50 stairs up to um, um, the Australia Square in, instead of uh, taking the, the elevator. So anxiety disorder usually results in avoidant behavior. So specific phobia uh, is one of them. The other one is what we call generalized anxiety disorder. And as the term implies, the person is just generally anxious and worry about things that a lot of us uh, take for granted. So it's almost like their stress level is actually set at a higher pace. Then the next one is the panic disorder where a person has quite a lot of uh, panic attacks within a short period of time so that it becomes a disorder like the panic uh, attacks that you have mentioned, mm. James. So that is panic disorder. And the next one is uh, um, a social anxiety disorder, again, where the person avoids social situations because of the fear of criticism, because of the fear of negative evaluation like, you know, uh, he doesn't speak properly or he doesn't eat properly. So again, it results in avoidance of social uh, situations. And last but not least is what we call the obsessive compulsive disorder, or in short, OCD, where the person has persistent thoughts of contaminations or uh, germs, and to the extent that the person actually develop a very elaborate uh, ritualistic type of behavior in order to deal with uh, those fear. So those are the five common type of uh, anxiety disorders. Great, thank you. Um, so that really shows us that anxiety is, it's really complex. You might be someone who, who suffers from anxiety, talking to someone else suffering from anxiety, and actually the two things that you're experiencing might be totally different. Um, so we see it's diverse and there's really a spectrum uh, of, of ways that anxiety might be affecting your life. 
But we know that progress is possible. Correct. And there is treatment available. So from a clinical perspective, uh, what would you say are some of the ways that people suffering from anxiety can find treatment? Well, I think the first one is really a change in attitude. And I would uh, use that term acceptance. So it's very important that you are suffering from an anxiety disorder. And that doesn't make you lesser of a human being. That doesn't mean that you are morally weak. It's just that uh, you're suffering from a medical condition called anxiety disorder. So acceptance is very important. And in order to arrive at that point, uh, you have to dispense with the feeling of shame. Because a lot of times when we suffer from a problem, we tend to feel a bit shameful about that. So you have to deal with the shame, mm. accept, and also to accept the fact that uh, there's treatment and also to accept that uh, there's hope. So that is uh, the first thing. And the other one that, uh, the, the other step I would call reframing. So reframing, in other words, is to give it another meaning. So it's just like what you shared, James, that when you had the panic attack, you thought that you know, you were having a heart attack. Mm. And so reframing is very important in such a way to say that, look, you know, anxiety is just a hyper arousal of my physiological state in the body. There's too much adrenaline running around. Uh, reframing uh, would be, another example would be when a person has an anxiety disorder, they usually have a negative thoughts. So another way of reframing would be, hey, look, you know, these thoughts are just thoughts and uh, they are not reality. So even though I have a thought that, for example, you share that you have a heart attack and now mm. that you know it, then you know it's like, okay, I don't have a heart attack. And to reframe that to, I'm just being stressed. So reframing is very important. Reframe the way that you feel and reframe some of your negative thoughts that are floating around and the negative emotional states that you are in. This fear that I have, like for those of us who have post-traumatic stress disorder, well, it was a response to past trauma. Mm. And the reality is that my feeling is telling me that there's a fear here. The reframing is like, I'm pretty safe. That is belong to the past. So that is reframing. And the, 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 the third one, when you're suffering from an acute anxiety, is what I call refocus. Because when we have a very uncomfortable feeling of fear of uncertainty, we tend to focus on that. So in order to refocus, we teach people to, for example, just focus on their breathing. Just be aware of your breathing in and out. Refocus with your five senses and uh, pick up things that you can see, five things I can see around this room in order to refocus. Uh, a few noises that I can hear or things that I can smell, that is called refocusing and that is very important and you can actually refocus on your anxiety itself like for those of us who suffer from a, a panic disorder the panic attack uh, that you mentioned is to refocus on the anxiety itself and imagine that it's like a wave coming in and you're just surfing on top of that wave and the wave will come to an end the bigger the wave is the longer is it going to take to the shore but then I just Focus on that as an observer that, look, you know, I'm just going into the shore and there's nothing to be concerned about. So the, the refocusing and, and then the, the third one is, uh, the fourth one now actually is resetting, okay? So this is where doing regular uh, um, relaxation exercises or what we call guided imagery mm. is very important. God has given us an imagination and when you have uh, guided imagery of relaxing places or places that you have fun 
and you do that, that will help to reset your, your stress level. And, and then we also go on to what we call restoring. Uh, look at your lifestyle, um, uh, try to have a normal, what I call circadian rhythm, sleeping and waking, reduce stimulant like alcohol and caffeine, and making sure that you build in the pleasure and the leisure of life as well, that is restoring because uh, we cannot be working and working all the time. And then the last but not least is what I would call renewal. So working with somebody to renew your mind because of those negative thinking, to renew the way that you appraise yourself in terms of the uh, emotional state that you are in. So those are the, the six steps that uh, I usually help my patients with in terms of journeying towards recovery. Thank you. Make it sound so easy. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. And yes. often this is going to be a process where we yes. need to actually get help mm. and start to learn some of these things and put some of these things into practice. Yes. Uh, but So you're both you know, a mental health professional. It's your career. Uh, also a believer in Jesus. Yes. Um, and so as we think about you know, the kind of treatment that we can find clinically, shifting gears a little bit to faith, you know, for the Christians in the room suffering with some form of anxiety, facing some form of anxiety, what hope uh, do you believe that our faith offers? Well, I think uh, our Christian faith, or what I would call Christian spirituality, has a lot to offer. Uh, because I, I look at Christian spirituality as a belief in a loving and almighty God with whom I actually have a personal relationship and that he has a purpose and plan for my life and his will for me is to really walk out the destiny in such a way that I would actually enjoy an abundant life of peace and of fulfillment and of joy and of love. So I think within that context then our spiritual life or, or Christian spirituality has a lot to offer. You mentioned in the beginning that uh, we are not just the mind and the body, we are the spirit as well. Mm. And the spirit and the mind is uh, closely intertwined. So the stronger I have a positive spiritual life, then it will flow on to a better mental health. So the Christian message of uh, love, of faith and hope has a lot to offer in terms of uh, helping us for those of us who have uh, a mental health issues to know that even though I'm going through this, there's a loving God who, who cares about me. There's a loving God uh, who his desire for me is that I will live out my, my destiny and having the faith that uh, even though I'm going through this, that God is going through with me and that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And having the hope that is very important, having the hope that this is going to finish one day. Now, the thing is that no matter what sort of anxiety disorder you have, um, you're going to get better one day. It's a matter of time. So you have to be kind to yourself and not mm. to stress yourself out and say, look, you know, I've got to recover in two weeks' time. And having that hope and having that faith that God is going to bring you through. And I think that's very important. So this is where the scripture is very important because you can actually incorporate some of these scriptures into some of those steps that I talk about. So for example, there's no reason why you can't, we can't use one of the Psalms for a guided imagery. 
like Psalm 23 uh, is a very good one where it talks about uh, the Lord is our shepherd and he leads us through um, all those uh, difficult places, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall no, fear no evil because you are with me. And Psalm 91 talk about uh, hiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And Psalm 119 of uh, talking about the fact that God has all these positive thoughts about us. So taking hold of those uh, uh, reality, meditating on them, using them as the background of our guided imagery and resetting our stress level and having a sense of hope. So this is where I feel that the Christian faith has a lot to offer. And for those of us who are suffering from one type of anxiety or whatever, if you haven't done that, that is actually very, very powerful. And it also helps us, some of this scripture I talk about, uh, refocusing, right? You can actually refocus on one verse that uh, you can get from the, from, from the Bible, the psalm, and, uh, or from the other bit of the Bibles as well. So, so it actually has a lot to offer us uh, in terms of a recovery in the, um, towards uh, uh, a, a sort of recovering from uh, anxiety disorder. It's mm, great. It's very helpful. And, of course, the support of community as well. The support of the community is, 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 is very important. Uh, we know that from research, right, um, people who have a support of a community tend to have a lower incidence of mental health problem. Now, we're not just talking about anxiety alone. We're talking about depression and other sort of uh, mental health issues. So coming together, you being part of the community, uh, um, you know, providing that sort of uh, loving, supportive, uh, peaceful sort of milieu is very important. Mm. So being part of the church in a meaningful way, connecting with each other in a meaningful way is actually a great support uh, for those of us uh, who have mental health problems or indeed uh, for any one of us in terms of protecting us against mental health problems because it gives us a sense of belonging and a, mm. and a sense of uh, identity as well. And then as a church exploring that whole notion of uh, being a family uh, of God where you live out mm. in a very real way this whole message of love, this whole message of uh, faith, and this whole message of, uh, of uh, hope as well. And of course then, for some of us who are a bit more skilled, uh, you may offer some prayer support for that person, some counseling and some guidance, and really getting in there and journey with that person. Mm. The key word is getting in there and journey, and sometimes just with your presence, and mm. sometimes it's just with your word of wisdom, and sometimes it's just with the practical help that you can offer this person. And I can tell you, it is really, really healing. The reason is this, right? Because a person who has a mental health issues would end up seeing a psychiatrist or psychologist once a week initially, and after that, it's like once a month or whatever. Mm. But as a gospel community, you come together quite regularly, and your presence and your contribution in that sense is very important in the healing of, uh, of the entire body of Christ, and especially for those of us who have uh, a mental health problem. So there is a lot that the church can offer. Yeah. And, and to that end, I 
I'm really, really excited that uh, I can actually come here to share with you guys or being invited. Uh, I think there are very few churches in Sydney that would devote that sort of time to explore this whole issue of uh, uh, mental health. Mm. And, and I think you guys are doing very well. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dad. We really appreciate uh, your time and, and your knowledge. We get a clinical perspective and a mini-sermon. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, you'll be around afterwards if people have questions that they'd, they'd like to ask you. Yes. Great. All right, well, why don't we thank my dad. Thank you very um, much. For being here with us. All righty, let's get settled. Well, thanks again, Dad, so much for being here. We want to thank you for your time. It's really invaluable. Um, and what I want to do now in the time that we have left is to hit on some reminders of truth, to hit on some reminders of truth from God's word for those who are struggling here this morning. And as I said earlier, not all of these are going to apply to everyone, but I hope that they'll be helpful nonetheless in bringing a revelation of what it is that God wants to say to you in your unique situation and circumstance this morning. So five reminders of truth. Let's go. The first one is this. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Have a look with me at Philippians chapter 4. Words should be up on the screen behind me. Read along with me from verse 5. Paul says, The Lord is near. So do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so here what we have is this instruction, this this command from Paul that, that we not be anxious about anything but in every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring our requests, bring our needs to God. And you know, I used to, uh, this is one of those coffee mug kind of verses, you know, mantelpiece, um, and I used to read this and think, wow, that's a really great promise. It's really great comfort, but sometimes it feels like a burden. It feels like this burden to bring these things and respond in this way. But what I realized as I studied this scripture is that this instruction is not meant to be a burden, but rather a comfort. This instruction isn't meant to be a burden, but rather an invitation. You see, Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything, in everything, in every situation, bring your request to God. Why? Because the Lord is near. Not because it's the Christian thing to do. Not because this is some arbitrary law to uphold. And if we don't do this, God's going to be disappointed with us. Or he'll be angry with us. No, bring all of your requests to God. Because the Lord is near. He's near to you. He's near to you today by the presence of his Holy Spirit. You see, this is what Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross and then returned to the Father. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you 
another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? As he's with his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How? By the presence of my spirit. So even though Jesus might not be physically here, he might not be physically near to us in bodily form, he is through his spirit. And that is as true for the disciples as it is true for every person in this room today who has their trust in Jesus Christ. He has sent his spirit to live inside of you. His spirit is with you to comfort you, to love on you, to support you, to give you guidance and peace. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. So take heart. Take heart because he is near even when you don't feel like it. So the Lord is near. And secondly, feelings aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. You know, over the past 14 months, I've learned that if I let my feelings dictate my reality, I'm going to have a pretty crappy day. If I let my feelings dictate what's true for me, my truth is going to mess with me so badly until I just can't take it anymore. And when it comes to anxiety, this is what we need to tell ourselves. Our feelings are real, but that doesn't make them true. And you know, my dad was sharing before that acceptance is an important part of dealing with your anxiety. And I learned this pretty early on when I went to see a psychologist. You can't sweep it under the rug. You can't pretend that your feelings and your thoughts aren't there. In fact, that's actually going to do you more harm as you try and resist the fact that they are there. But acknowledging that you feel this way, acknowledging that you're having this thought, that it's there, that it's in your mind, is not the same thing as affirming that it is true. So you can have this thought in your mind. You can say, yes, I am thinking that. I acknowledge that I'm thinking that, that that thought, it's there, it's in my mind. But that doesn't mean that the contents of what it's saying is true. And I know for some people that's really hard to do because you, know, you may be suffering with a form of anxiety which is so debilitating that you, you don't even know what's going on. You can't actually isolate a thought and identify it, let, let alone filter it through whether it's true or not. And so if that's you, please don't hear me condemning you this morning if you can't physically, if you're not able to do that. But for the rest of us, we need to stop being led by our feelings. And you know, sometimes I think Christians are the worst, we're some of the worst at this, right? Like whether you have the Holy Spirit pads playing in the background behind me or the camp high that we're on that we crash from, we let our feelings dictate our reality. You know, sometimes I feel like I get saved like three, four, five times in the same week. Wake up on Monday, feeling on top of the world. Jesus is alive. I'm on top of the mountain. I'm victorious. Yes, this is all true. And then Tuesday comes and I wake up feeling bad. And I'm like, God, where are you? I'm so alone. My world is caving in. 
And I'm not saying that emotions are a bad thing. They're a gift from God. They're a beautiful gift to help us express, to enjoy, to feel deeply. But our emotions were never meant to be our compass. Our emotions were never meant to dictate our reality. And when we let them have that place in our lives, we're giving them a power over us to dictate what is true. No, instead, God has given us this book, his unchanging word, which is packed full of truth and promises and things that he says of himself and of the world and of you, which are objectively true, regardless of how you wake up feeling today or tomorrow. Feelings aren't facts. So the Lord is near, feelings aren't facts. And thirdly, you are in a spiritual war. You are in a spiritual war. And I know that at some point, some of you are reacting and you want to pull back from this. The walls are going up and you, James, no way, no way. Don't make this all weird. Don't make this all over-spiritualized. I've heard some really bad sermons and I don't want to go down that path. Surely anxiety, it's, just, it's all physical. It's just what's happening in my body. My adrenaline levels are out of whack. Don't make this all spiritual. And yes, there is truth to that. There is a physical explanation for what's going on inside your mind and your body. And we definitely don't want to fall into the trap of over-spiritualizing every suffering and condition and affliction that we face. But it is equally true that we are in a spiritual war. And it's not my word that you have to take on it. It's, it's God's word. So read with me what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10, the word should be up on the screen behind me. Paul says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Sounds pretty spiritual, right? I don't know about you, but uh, I haven't in my real life been slaying any demons lately. Didn't ride over to anchor on my horse, whipping out my sword and taking up my shield of faith. Yet Paul is being very clear here that those who belong to Jesus are in a spiritual war. And if this war is not a physical fight, which I think we can all agree on, then it must be mental and emotional and spiritual. I mean, look at what this passage is saying. This is what Paul literally says. The devil is scheming against you. There are spiritual forces working against you, not flesh and blood. Why? Because you belong to Jesus and you have the hope of the world in your testimony and in your life. And the enemy can't take from you what God has put inside of you, but what he can do is seek to wreak destruction in your life so that you lose hope, so that you lose faith, so that you lose belief, and so that you are powerless in the mission of God and his kingdom. So please hear me very carefully this morning. I'm not saying that the devil is making you anxious. 
I'm not saying that you're anxious because of a lack of faith or specifically because of sin. But what I am saying is that you are in a fight and the enemy wants to use your mental health against you. The enemy wants to leverage your worry and your fear and your anxiety to strip you of hope and faith so that you don't walk in the calling that God has placed on your life. And for some of us this morning, we need to hear this word and recognize that we are in the fight. And we need to wake up. Because just because you're not fighting back doesn't mean you're not in a fight. You know, growing up, uh, having two Asian parents, being a good, stereotypical Asian boy, my parents would tell me, if you ever get into a fight, if anyone ever wants to cause trouble, to come at you with violence and the threat of physical harm, don't engage, just walk away. Great advice. And I follow that advice. Just, just walk away, don't engage. It made no sense to do that. It was wise. But this isn't like that. This isn't a fight that you can just walk away from or stick your fingers in your ear and pretend it's not happening. You are in a fight and it's time to fight back. And I wish we had more time to go into depth about what that looks like. And perhaps if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you after the gathering. But I suspect for many of us what it looks like is allowing God's word to reclaim the place of truth in our lives. And maybe for some, of it, for some of us, that actually just looks like opening it for the first time in a long time and reading it and searching it and taking hold of the promises of God and the truth so that when those lies come and those fearful, destructive, worrying thoughts you can see them for what they really are. And you can replace them with the truth of God's word. And maybe for some of us that looks like getting down on our knees in prayer and asking God that he would fill us by his spirit with his word and his truth and his peace. Some of us here today need to pick up the Bible and start fighting again. As Paul will say in the next verse, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the Lord is near. Feelings aren't facts. You are in a spiritual war. And fourthly, getting help is not weak. Getting help is wise. For the people in the back, getting help isn't weak. Getting help is wise. See, we live in a world that often places this value on self-sufficiency and so we walk around our days in real life and on social media projecting this kind of strength, refusing to show weakness and vulnerability because we think that that's what's required of us. But I want to say to you this morning, self-sufficiency is not a gospel value. It's not a Christian value. Self-sufficiency is a Western cultural value. And it's actually anti-gospel. You see, the gospel is all about needing help. Look at what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless. We were helpless. 
We were dead in our sin and our brokenness, unable to fix ourselves, yet God entered in and met us in our weakness and said, you don't have to be strong because I can be strong for you. You don't have to have it together because you can take my perfection. This is the gospel that God enters into our brokenness and makes us whole and we don't have to pretend to have it all together and to be these strong people. We can admit that we need help, that we're weak. We bring nothing to the table but empty and open hands, reaching out for His strength. And if you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus, I wanna say to you, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's recognizing that you're undeniably broken and in need of help. You're estranged from God by nature and by choice. You can't fix it. You can't put yourself together. But just as undeniable as that is the truth that there is a God who loves you. And He loves you so much that He would send His Son to meet you in your brokenness, to put you back together, to fix you. And all that you have to do is recognize that you need that help and ask for it. That's the gospel that we believe. And so how inconsistent is it for us as Christians to confess this message of weakness and the need for help as what we're building our lives upon yet Monday to Friday, walk around projecting strength, refusing to get help. We need to remove the stigma that exists around getting help when it comes to our mental health. There is no shame in getting help. It's what our faith is about. There is no shame, there is no stigma, and even if there was in our community any of that, we need to take that and just throw that away that has no place in this community of believers. And God has given us so many tools to help us in our mental health journey. Progress is possible. He's given us prayer. He's given us the presence of His Holy Spirit. He's given us the promises of His Word. He's given us a community of believers to support us. He's given us all the common graces of sleep and nutrition and exercise and medical health professionals who are available and ready to help us if we would just ask for it. So you have a whole toolkit before you to help you in your mental health journey. And the absolutely worst thing that you can do is push that to the side and say, I don't need that. I'm strong enough. And so wherever you're at in your journey this morning, however you walked in here this morning, I want to encourage you to get the help that you need. Because doing so, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. It's a sign that you get the gospel. It's a sign that you recognize that your strength is not in not needing help, but your strength is in having the humility to ask for it. And some of us, we need to do that this morning. Get help because getting help is not weak, it is wise. So the Lord is near. Feelings aren't facts. You are in a spiritual war. Getting help is not weak, it's wise. And lastly, this will not last forever. This will not last forever. What you're facing 
Whatever you walked into this room carrying today, what you will face tomorrow or next month or next year or at some other distant point in your life, it will not last forever. Because this is what God says from the book of Revelation chapter 21. This is the picture of the future that God gives for those who trust in Jesus. Read this with me. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne room saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He is making everything new. And some of you, some of you, God might heal and take your anxiety away in this lifetime. He will. And for others of you, maybe you will not experience that. But no matter what your present circumstance is, God has promised you a future where your anxiety and your fear your anxious thoughts and feelings, your worries, they will cease to exist. They won't be there anymore. You won't have those thoughts. You won't wake up feeling that way. You won't feel like your mind is being intruded upon. You won't feel them anymore. You will never worry again. And this is the hope that we have to hold on to. As people who trust in Jesus, this is the hope that we believe we will see as sure as the sun will rise each day. This is the hope that we're clinging to, that Jesus will make all things new. And let me tell you what that does for us right now in this moment, in the midst of your anxiety and your suffering and your fears that gives us peace that gives us peace. As we choose to trust that God is in control, that gives us peace because we know the end of the story. We know that even though we face terrible things now, He is making everything new. He has faced our worst possible future so that we can have the best. We can experience peace now because we know that no matter what we face in this life, Jesus has won. Jesus has won. Jesus has defeated sin and death and its effects. Jesus has defeated anxiety and fear. He's put it to rest. He's defeated our brokenness. He's defeated our illness. Jesus has given fear and anxiety an expiration date. He's making all things new. That day is coming. And so in this moment, I want to say to you, take heart. Take heart. Find peace in Christ. Hear the words of your Savior from John chapter 16. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. 
For in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So we're going to move now into a time of response. And as the band comes forward and plays a song for us, I want to invite you to stay seated in your chairs. And we're going to take this time and use this space to reflect. To reflect on the words of the song. To reflect on what we've heard. What God might be speaking to us in the quietness and the stillness of our hearts. Reflect on the peace that we can experience right now in this moment because of who Jesus is and what He has done. And as from then we move into a time of of worship and singing in response, I want to invite you to come and take the Lord's Supper. We're going to have barrels down the front here, in the middle. And as you come, remember, no matter how you feel today, your, your feelings aren't facts. So draw near to Jesus in faith. Take the bread, take the juice, symbols of His body and His blood broken and shed for us and declare that He is Lord. So let me pray. Our Father God, we come to You now, Lord, with anxious minds, fearful hearts, and we need Your help. And we thank You, Lord, that You delight to draw near to us. We thank You, Lord, that You've sent Your Son to defeat sin and brokenness, to give fear and anxiety an expiration date, so that we can know peace now, even in the midst of our suffering. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who might be struggling. I pray for those who've walked in here carrying burdens that are too heavy for them to bear. And I pray in this moment, Lord, that even now that you would meet them, that you would fill their hearts afresh with your spirit, with peace, that you would break the chains that that bind us, Lord, and lift our eyes to see you. Give us the eyes of faith to know and trust, even when our feelings are all out of whack, that you are real, that you are true, that you love us and that you have peace for us, God, even in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.